This is the Roast and Reason podcast. Join your host, Andrew Boyer, as we explore the world of specialty coffee. So grab a cup of your favorite coffee and let's dive in. Welcome to Roast and Reason. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Roast and Reason podcast. And welcome to episode two of the Where Your Coffee Comes From series. That's not the official name of the series, but it's what I'm calling it. Before we get into today's topic, which is coffee processing, I want to take a minute and really thank you guys. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your interest. Thanks for being here and spending part of your day with me and inviting me into part of your day and part of your life. It really means a lot to me, so thank you. Also, thank you for being willing to deal with and tolerate me as a relative newbie podcaster. I'm positive that I'm not doing all of this correctly. I'm positive that A couple months from now, I'm going to look back and listen to some of these early episodes and think, what in the hell was I doing? So thank you guys. I I really, really appreciate it. Um, And I hope you realize that. So today's episode is going to be pretty much all about coffee processing. If you haven't already listened to episode three, I would highly recommend that you do so. That's the first part of this series. In episode three, we talked about the coffee tree, coffee farming, the coffee cherry, and the different parts of it, and how coffee is harvested. So at this point, we have gone from the tree that produced flowers, which turned into coffee cherries, which is the fruit of the coffee tree. The farmer has picked those ripe cherries, and we're at a point where we have all of this fruit with our coffee beans, which we want out of the fruit. So we need to separate the beans from the fruit and the protective layers. That's what coffee processing is all about. So that's where we, where we are going to pick up in this episode, and we're going to talk about the different ways coffee can be processed. There are multiple different types or ways that you can process coffee. The specific type of processing that is used is typically determined by coffee farmers and the employees of processing facilities based on local factors, things like climate or water availability or cost of labor. Not everywhere in the world has clean water that is readily accessible. And if you have limited clean water, odds are you're going to use that for drinking, not for processing coffee. So in areas where there isn't clean water, some of these techniques just aren't viable because they use so much water. Similarly, some areas where coffee is grown and processed, human labor is very cheap. 
it doesn't cost a lot to pay someone to do manual labor for you. So in those areas, a lot of this processing might be done by human labor rather than an automated machine. The converse would be true in areas where labor costs are very high. So a lot of the decision behind how to process coffee is based on these kinds of factors. With that said, some specialty coffee producers make the choice about the processing method based on the flavor or type of quality of type or quality of coffee that they're looking to produce. So some of these different techniques result in very different flavors in the resulting coffee. For instance, two techniques we're going to talk about are the washed or fully washed method and the natural method. The washed method typically results in a very clean, lively, acidic coffee. Whereas the natural process oftentimes results in a coffee that has flavors that are often described as wine-like or fruity. Natural processed coffees typically have a bigger, bolder body with a more full mouthfeel to them. A classic example is some Ethiopian coffees that are naturally processed literally taste like blueberries. Yes, they still taste like coffee, but if you close your eyes, you taste blueberry. That comes from the natural process. So this, the decision about how to process coffee is either made out of necessity or based on how that processing technique influences the final coffee. So we're going to talk about four different techniques to process coffee. The first is washed or fully washed technique natural processing technique, honey or pulped natural. Those are two slightly different techniques that originated in two different areas of the world, but they're fairly similar, so I'm going to lump them together in today's discussion. And the last technique that we're going to talk about is called semi-washed or wet-hulled technique. So let's dive in. The first one that we're going to talk about is the washed or fully washed method. This has become somewhat of a gold standard, especially in the specialty coffee market over the past couple decades. A lot of people within the specialty coffee industry prefer washed coffees because they have a clean, acidic, and lively flavor profile. This method also tends to give the most consistent flavor profile and decreases the odds of flavor imperfections that can arise in some of the other methods. 
So within, I'll go into how this technique is actually performed in a minute or two, but basically this technique removes the fruit and the skin layers up front. So there's less chances of that fruit staying on surrounding the coffee bean and things going wrong, like spoiling or rotting or fermenting. So you typically get less chance of something going wrong with the fully washed method. And that's one of the reasons why it's become somewhat of a gold standard. Some coffee purists also prefer this method because you get a more clear sense of what that specific coffee tastes like. So some of the other methods impart more of a flavor on that coffee from the processing method itself. The washed method doesn't do that. So you get a cleaner sense of what that specific varietal of Arabica coffee tastes like grown in that specific climate. So terroir, as the wine people say. So you get a better sense of what a typical Arabica coffee from Ethiopia tastes like rather than what that processing method imparted flavor-wise on the coffee. So let's talk about how the washed method actually happens. So what's done? So we have our coffee cherries that have been harvested and sorted. The first thing that happens in the washed method is the cherries are processed through a mechanical mill. So you put these cherries in a mill that mechanically removes the skin and fruit layers of the cherry. The resulting beans are still covered by a layer that is this kind of thick, sugary, gel-like layer called the mucilage layer. That layer has to be removed. That's accomplished by placing the beans with this layer around it into a large vat of water. They're placed there for anywhere from 12 to 72 hours. In this vat of water, it's not a completely sterile environment. So you have these microbes in this vat of water that ferment and consume this mucilage layer. So that kind of eats it away. Once this process is complete, the beans are then removed and soaked again in clean water and dried. This is one of the major areas in the wash process that can go wrong. If you leave the beans in the original vat for too long, that fermentation process can go on too long and you can get abnormal and bad flavors in the beans. So they really have to be removed as soon as that process is complete and washed again in clean water. Coffee beans are dried to a moisture content of about 10 to 12%. At that level, they are relatively stable to be stored. So they won't rot or mold at that moisture content. If you have too much moisture in the beans, if they're not dried enough, they will often mold and go bad. 
So they really need to be dried to that 10 to 12% moisture content level. That's accomplished either by placing them in a drying machine or more commonly and traditionally, they're dried under the sun on raised beds. So at this point, they've been washed. All of the skin and the fruit and the mucilage layer has been removed. They're surrounded by, the beans are surrounded by two main protective layers. One is called the parchment layer. And just underneath the parchment layer, there is the silver skin or chaff. The parchment layer is left on the beans and only removed right before they're exported and shipped. So right after the beans are processed, they're rested for anywhere from 30 to 60 days. They're not shipped immediately. Once they're ready to be shipped, that parchment layer is removed. Now there's one major exception to that rule, and that's the semi-washed or wet-hulled method, which is common in the Sumatra region and in Indonesia as a whole. So we'll discuss that method a little bit later. That'll be the fourth one that we discuss. But as a whole, that parchment layer is left on until the beans are ready to be shipped and exported. The silver skin remains on even after that process and is removed during roasting. So we've now covered the washed process. That'll be the process that I compare all of these other ones to moving forward. So the next process is the natural or sun-dried process. So let's go back to our harvested coffee cherries again. So they've been harvested, they've been sorted. We have a bunch of ripe coffee cherries that we need to remove the coffee bean from. Unlike the washed process where the coffee cherries go through a mill and the skin and the fruit is removed, in the dried method, the coffee cherries are dried in the sun without removing any of that. So the skin and the fruit are left on. They're just left out in the sun to dry. Think of this as similar to like sun-drying grapes to make raisins. So once the, the cherries are dried, they are then processed in a mill to remove the overlying fruit and protective layers. Since the skin and fruit are left on as the coffee cherries are dried, the natural process often results in very strong, unique fruit flavors like blueberry or cranberry, sometimes melon. These flavors are often described as wine-like flavors in the resulting coffee. Some people don't like this in their coffee. Some people do not like natural processed coffees. They want their coffee to be clean and crisp. I personally like this a lot. Uh, a well-processed, a well-natural processed coffee can be really unique and interesting. One of my absolute favorites right now is a coffee called Kilenso. K-I-L-E-N-S-O. It's a natural processed Ethiopia coffee from a coffee company in Portland, Oregon called Coava Coffee. That's C O 
AVA. I will link to this in the show notes. Uh, this is one of my favorite examples of a natural processed coffee. Coava describes the flavors as blueberry, grape, jam, and lavender. All I get is blueberry. Yes, it tastes like coffee, but literally the flavor notes I get are blueberry. It is literally like I'm running through a blueberry patch where the blueberries are fresh and I run face first into a blueberry bush. It tastes like blueberry. If you've never had a coffee that has tasted like this, I highly recommend it. You may love it. You may not like it at all, but odds are you're going to taste it and think, wow, that was interesting. So again, I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes and I can't recommend it enough. I think even just to understand this process and, and how it can impart different flavors, I think this is a great example of what we're talking about here. The major downside to the natural process and one of the reasons why, in some respects, it's been shunned in the coffee industry is inconsistency. So coffee farmers and workers really need to be careful to care for and turn the coffee cherries as they dry. Otherwise, you get very inconsistent drying and you can often get rotting and spoiling of the fruit itself, which can obviously result in pretty awful flavors of the underlying coffee. But over the past couple of years, with increased emphasis of quality in terms of coffee processing, there are now a lot of really well-done, well-processed, natural-processed coffees that are really unique and really delicious, Colenso just being one of them. So let's talk about the third method. As I said, I'm going to lump two methods together here. One is called the honey-processed method, and the other that's very, very similar to it is called pulped natural. These are very similar in technique, which is why I'm lumping them together. The honey method has become popular in Costa Rica recently. The pulped natural method originally came from Brazil. So both of these methods are a little bit of a hybrid method between the washed and natural processing methods. So going back to our original coffee cherries again, they've been harvested and sorted and they're ready to be processed. So the first step of the honey method is identical to the washed method. So the coffee cherries are processed through a mill that removes the skin and the fruit layers, leaving the bean and the surrounding gel-like sugary mucilage layer. Instead of the washed method, where those beans are then placed in a vat and that mucilage layer is removed via fermentation, the beans are now dried with the mucilage layer still intact surrounding the beans. So you kind of have that half washed method, half natural method. The beans are dried 
to that appropriate drying level, and then the mucilage layer is left on. So in some respects, you get the best of both worlds. You're removing some of the layers, so you're having a little bit more control over those inconsistencies that can happen in the natural process. But drying the beans with the mucilage layer still intact can often give honey processed coffees a unique flavor profile that is typically described as a little sweet, a little fruit-like but not as in your face, as like I described the natural processed coffee from Coava that to me tastes straight like blueberries. Honey processed is a little bit more subtle than that. It can often give you a more full body coffee as well. So that's basically honey processing in a nutshell. The very last method that we're going to talk about is a method that is common in Indonesia and with Sumatra coffees. This process is called the semi-washed or wet hulled method. As I mentioned earlier, this is the one exception to the rule that the protective parchment layer is left surrounding the coffee beans until they are ready for shipment. In the wet hulled method, this process also starts similar to the washed process. So our coffee cherries are milled. They're placed through the mill, removing the skin and fruit layer. They're then washed in a a similar way in these vats. The fermentation process removes the mucilage layer. And then they are started in the drying process. However, they're not dried fully. Before they reach that 10 to 12% moisture level, before that drying process is complete, producers remove the protective parchment layer. That process is called hulling. So that parchment layer is removed. The beans are then dried further to that 10 to 12% moisture content level. So this wet-hulled method results in the unique flavor that you can get in a Sumatra coffee. Before Sumatra coffee is roasted, it typically has a deeper, darker green color than other types of coffee beans. And it typically, this, this process typically results in a unique flavor profile of Sumatra coffees. Some people describe it as woody or green or tobacco-like flavors, almost like a jungle-like flavor. Some Sumatra coffees taste like a green or a yellow bell pepper. So that flavor profile largely comes from this processing method, not from the natural flavor profile of those beans themselves. So there you have it. There are the four major processing methods that are used to remove the coffee bean from the overlying coffee fruit. If you look at most 
specialty coffee bags from your local coffee shop or roastery, they will tell you what processing method is used. They'll tell you if that's a fully washed coffee or if you're dealing with a natural processed or honey processed coffee. So look for that the next time you buy your local coffee. And hopefully now you know what, what that means and what type of flavors you might expect from that coffee. The last topic that we're going to talk about in today's episode is how coffee is shipped. So we now have processed the coffee. We have our coffee beans. What happens from now until that coffee is packaged and shipped and gets into the hands of your coffee roaster? The vast majority of coffee in the world has to be shipped to reach its end destination, you, the consumer, and before you, the coffee roaster. Most of the coffee in the world is not produced where it's consumed. But there are a couple steps between when the coffee is processed and when it is shipped. After the beans are processed and dried, they're still enclosed in their protective parchment layer unless the semi-washed or wet hulled method was used. At this point, coffee beans are stored or rested for 30 to 60 days. This resting or aging period really hasn't been fully researched. We don't really know what's going on here but it's believed to contribute to the quality of the coffee. So most coffee is rested this 30 to 60 days. Coffee that isn't. So if a producer makes their coffee, processes it, and ships it right away, it's often described as having a green or unpleasant, unripe flavors. So while we don't necessarily understand the mechanism here, coffee is typically rested for one to two months prior to shipment. After this aging process is complete, coffee undergoes a process called hulling. This is the process where that parchment, that thick protective parchment layer, is mechanically removed. Coffee producers pass the beans through a dry mill, which mechanically strips that layer off of the beans. The beans are then sorted one last time to remove any defective beans. After that point, we're ready for packaging. Jute bags have been traditionally used to, to package and ship coffee. The major reason there is jute bags are relatively cheap, they're relatively available, and they have a limited environmental impact. The big downside is jute bags in and of themselves really don't do anything to protect coffee from the elements and moisture, from heat and moisture and sunlight. So other types of packaging has been experimented with and producers are starting to use other packaging methods 
uh, more recently. Things like jute bags that are lined with a protective polyethylene layer or vacuum-sealed bags or vacuum-sealed boxes are, are now used as well. So regardless of what type of packaging the coffee's placed in, we now have it packaged and ready for shipment. The vast majority of coffee in the world is shipped in large shipping containers, large big ships. These shipping containers are huge. They can hold about 300 bags of coffee. And I'm not talking about a bag that you see as a consumer, a 12-ounce or a 16-ounce bag. I'm talking about like a 70-kilogram bag. These are big bags. So these are big, big, big shipping containers. This is the most readily available and cheapest method of shipping, so it's the most commonly used method to ship coffee. However, there are big downsides. The shipping containers themselves really don't protect coffee from heat or moisture. They're not temperature-controlled or moisture-controlled. Making this issue even worse, worldwide shipping is fraught with bureaucracy at many points in the world. In many ports and countries in the world, there's a whole bureaucratic mess that coffee producers and importers have to deal with to get coffee from point A to point B. It is not uncommon for a container ship filled with fresh, delicious coffee to sit in a hot, humid port for weeks to months, just waiting for government officials to get their shit together and grant them approved paperwork. So this is a big area of concern that remains within the coffee industry. And to some degree, it just is what it is. Rarely coffee is shipped via plane, but that's obviously expensive, limited, and has a slightly higher environmental impact. So most coffee is shipped on these large shipping containers. So we're now at the point where we've gotten our coffee from the tree. The tree's produced the coffee cherry. We've harvested it. We've processed it. And we're finally at, we have this bean. And it's in a shipping container and it's on its way to the roaster. So we're almost at one of my very favorite parts of the coffee story before it reaches your cup. And that's roasting. I love roasting. I roast my own coffee at home. It's a really cool process. But before we get into how coffee is roasted and the changes that occur during this process, we have one more topic to discuss. And I really hope you'll join me on our next episode where I'm going to go into briefly how coffee is traded and importantly, what some specific terms that you might come across mean. Things like organic and fair trade and Rainforest Alliance. We use all of these terms to describe coffee, and you'll see them on, on bags of coffee, but what do they actually mean, and should you care? So that's what we're going to cover in next episode. I really hope you'll join me for that. Um, and I kind of feel like I should have a an ending message, um, Something like stay classy San Diego from Anchorman or stay thirsty, my friends. But 
I don't really have one. I don't really have a message to end these podcasts. So if you have one, if you have suggestions, feel free to let me know. But I guess for now, stay thirsty, my friends, works. Take care.